everything that I've ever needed has, has been given to me, like for, for my job with Caring Hearts. Obviously, I have to work really, really hard, but everything that I've ever needed, whether that is like financial support or whether that is just like skills or people like mentors or whatever, um, it's always come in due time. So I think that that's the biggest thing. Like, there's no reason to worry. You just got to work as hard as you can and keep going. Welcome, everyone, to the ultimate shift. Join Ephraim Glick and leading figures in business and entertainment as they share their stories of regular people overcoming tremendous obstacles only to achieve happiness, success, and fulfillment. Are you ready to make the ultimate shift in your life? Okay, welcome back to the ultimate shift. I'm really excited about today's guest. I have no idea why we have waited this long for this. But before we get into it, guys, uh, so this show is not sponsored by anyone, and it's free. All the content is free, and I want to keep it that way. But please share and review the show because that is how people find out about us. And without further ado, the guest today is one of my best friends, Natalie Hennessy, who's the president of Caring Hearts Ministries in Mexico, not to mention everything you guys do around Nashville. So... Uh, yeah, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. So let's start with Natalie. How did Nashville? I mean, I know the story, but our listeners don't. So like, how how did how did you get to Nashville? What brought you to Nashville? And ultimately, like, how did you then get into caring hearts? And and tell us a little bit about caring hearts, maybe off the bat. Okay. So I grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, which is where I first found out about Caring Hearts. So the founder of Caring Hearts, uh, we call him Papa Harold. He's the sweet old man. Um, but he took me down to Mexico whenever I was like in middle school. Um, and from the first day, I was like, I'm going to move to Mexico and I'm going to be a part of Caring Hearts. And that's all. You're going to move to Mexico. That's, yeah, I was 12 years old and that's what I thought. Okay, but can you tell us a story about the first time you went to Mexico? Yes. Okay. So basically, that my church was going down to see the ministry that Papa Harold had started. So whenever he went, he had retired and was doing his summers out in Phoenix. And he was like, we should drive down to Mexico. It's really close and we should just go check it out. But when he got down there, he saw all the poverty and a man who had like a big trailer with a bunch of kids living in it, like an orphanage. So he came back and he told our church and a bunch of other people up in Pittsburgh. So they were all going down there to help. So somebody in my church paid for me to go. And I went like kicking and screaming. I was really shy, which if you know me now, that's like not what I am now, but it was back then. Um, and I was super scared. And when we got out of the van at the orphanage, there was a little girl. Her name's Lisa. And she was really shy, just like me. And we just like very awkwardly hung out the whole week together. <laughs> and at the end of the week, she asked me when I was coming back. And I just said like, oh, I'll be back next year. Didn't really think about it. And then the next year rolled around and I was like, well, I can't lie to an orphan. I have to go back. Um, and that was when I was 12 years old. I'm 27 now. So just kept on going back. How um, many times have you been there? Do you know? Oh my gosh. I don't know. You have no idea. I don't know. I, now I'm down there about one, 
one to two weeks out of every month. So I don't know a lot. A lot so so you go there and then you you realize like you saw the need or whatever for it. And this probably took several times for you to really like want did did you immediately want to dive into this and, and jump into this or was this more of a gradual thing where you finally were like, you know what, I want to be a part of this or or to where you come to the point I want to move to Mexico? Yeah, so I think that that is what really started. I kind of like learned something on that trip. I learned like I have everything I need, you know, I'm going to go home and sleep in my nice comfy bed. And, um, I never have to worry about being scared or not having what I need or having food. Um, I've got two parents that take care of me and love me. And that's the first time I ever was like confronted with the fact that that's not the case for a lot of people. And so I remember on that first trip, um, we were in one of the villages in Mexico and we had just done like a program in the village and we had given out a bunch of like beans and rice and extra clothes to, to people in need. These people were living in like cardboard shacks, like just random things. Um, there's like this one house that sticks out in my head and they took like a baking sheet that they found and they had used that as part of the wall. Anyways, and everybody had gotten the food and they were walking back to their houses. And I was like, this doesn't make sense. (laughs) That bag of beans that I gave them is going to run out. And I'm really glad we gave it to them. But this doesn't make sense. They're going to go back and live in their house. And I'm going to go back and live in mine. And I think that that's when I kind of realized, like, I want this to be a relationship. And so anyways, I it was always in the back of my head. Um, but my parents were very adamant on me, like going to college and they're like, what, you're going to move to Mexico and you don't have any skills to share. Like, what are you going to do there? Um, so that's how I ended up going to Belmont, but I had no idea. Which is how you ended up in Nashville. Yes. Yeah. And did you think at that time you would stay here and, and like, or was it always like, well, no, I'll go back to Pittsburgh because obviously that's where Karen Hart is, is founded from. Yeah. Hmm. I had no idea what I was doing. I was just ready to go. (laughs) I was ready to go, ready to do something new. I liked Tennessee because I rode horses and I was like, maybe I'll just go to Tennessee and ride horses. I don't know. Um, yeah, I know. (laughs) Trying to convince Ephraim to uh, have some land for horses for us. Yeah, but then I think what kept me in Nashville, I still every year tell myself I'm going to move somewhere new, but there's just such amazing people here that support Caring Hearts and have become like my family and my support. So it's really difficult to leave and it's grown. Now we have a ministry here in Nashville too. So that has grounded us even a little bit deeper. Yeah. So with going back and forth to Mexico and like obviously going from, so it's pretty much one extreme to the other. I would think, like from when I was there, it's like you have extreme poverty and and literally extreme poverty to, I mean, we all live pretty comfortably here in Nashville, I think. What do you think is the biggest thing that that has ever, like Mexico has ever taught you? Hmm, That's a good question. Yeah, it is hard. And you know, like I've had to accept the, like the beauty of both things. Um, I remember the first time I came back from Mexico, that very first trip, my parents were really proud of me for going because they knew how scared I was. And I, well, I was scared of going on a plane. I was scared of like being with a bunch of people I didn't know. 
Um, you always hear about like how dangerous Mexico is and stuff. And so it was just like getting out of my comfort zone. I was just scared. I don't know. Um, but I remember when I came home, I had been like really wanting a new hair straightener. <laughs> and back in the day, the like fancy hair straightener was like a cheap hair straightener. And I really wanted one. And I came home and they're like a hundred dollars. And my parents had got me one as my like reward for going on this trip. And I remember I was so mad. I was like crying, like give that money to Mexico. And, <laughs> um, and for a while, like, and I still sometimes struggle with it. You know, how do you hop off the plane from Mexico where people are living, you know, people can work six days a week, 12 hours a day and make like less than $8. And then I come here and I go and get a $7 coffee, you know? And so that, that is hard. But what I've learned is like the beauty of both things. Like we need, we need the money in America to be able to empower, um, the, the people who need it. Like there's, there's beauty in that, but also the value and the beauty and like the simplicity of just being thankful for what you have and making the most out of what you have. So I appreciate both of them, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So typically when someone in Mexico goes to, and they, they work for $8, what, what are they doing just to give people perspective of, what their jobs might actually be. So the tough thing about San Luis is like, it's just the, the jobs are different. So there's a big, it's a border town. So a lot of people are crossing over to the United States to try to work at Walmart or work in the fields in the United States to try to make a little bit more money. Like that Walmart job in San Luis, Arizona is a good job. But just, to, I guess a good Example, I just actually learned about this last month when I was down there. One of the boys who grew up at our um, boys' home, he was really good. He was always really good at, like, mechanics. He would, like, take apart the printer just to rebuild it and stuff like that. So when he graduated, he went to, like, a mechanic school, and he got a job in his field being a mechanic. And he was working six days a week for 12 hours, and he got another part-time job as a security guard at, like, a store on that off day and in the times that he wasn't at his other job and he still was not making enough money to pay like a $200 a month rent. And so he quit those jobs and he started working, um, in the onion field. So every single morning, like before the sun comes up, he goes out to the onion field and he picks onions in the 120 degree weather until like three o'clock and then he's done. But he ended up making like more money. Maybe it's like $10 instead of eight. So it's just the job's a little bit different, but like to put it in perspective, if you are like a doctor or a surgeon, like the best job, um, you might make $30,000 a year. Like that's pushing it. That's like the best salary. But it, so is this a San Luis, Mexico thing, or is this a Mexico in general? You know? I... I would think that like Mexico City and some of the, those other places, um, like Mexicali is our closest big city. It's like 45 minutes away and there's a little bit better money there, but it's still nothing compared to the United States. But San Luis, uh, Mexico is like a really poor part of Mexico. So what would happen to San Luis if there was no parent parts? Oh, hmm. Well, 
we've got a lot of families that we get to to care for and support. I think the the biggest thing that Caring Hearts does is like we're not saving San Luis. The people, the local Mexican people are are saving San Luis. We're just empowering them to do it. So it's like there's people who run the soup kitchen every day, but that's not Americans who like gave up their life and go live down there and do it. It's local Mexican people who have families and have other jobs and they volunteer to do it. Um, and Caring Hearts just helps provide them with the resources, the tools. Americans come and build or teach skills and help build things. But yeah, it would be, it'd be tough. You know, we've got blind people who have a blind center to go and learn skills. We've got the soup kitchen feeding sometimes 200 people a day and just kind of giving that like extra hand up um, and uniting people together. So, yeah. So to touch on the soup kitchen, the soup kitchen is a place that creates meals for kids mostly who otherwise would have no meals, correct? Yeah, it's tough. Like I just recently, you know, we always go to the soup kitchen and the kids come to us, but during COVID we were going to them. We were bringing like grocery bags to them and it was so like it's horrible like they don't have refrigerators and so they don't keep food in the house they might have like a thing of tortillas and a bag of beans Hmm. and yeah it's bad (laughs) wow so let's go back to you when you were like 10 15 like what did you want what did you think you were going to do with your life like what did you when you think about career what did you want to be so I always, I thought I was going to be a vet, like a horse vet. I could totally see you do that. <laughs> but, so my first, my... Not like a big truck around? Yeah, like, come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Except for I can't see blood, so that was my first <laughs> issue. My first class at Belmont was a biochemistry class for my biochemistry major. No, it was biology class for my biochemistry major to be a vet. And about 10 minutes in, I raised my hand and I was like, uh, can I go to the bathroom? And I walked straight to my advisor's office and changed my major. I was like, I don't ever want to go what? to another science class again. What? Yeah. <laughs> what did you change so, your to? Um, I changed it to exercise science and then I changed it to psychology and then I ended up in social work. Okay. So yeah. you know a little bit about everything. Yeah. <laughs> so when you think back now to to how old were you when you first trip? Fifteen? My first time to Mexico? Yeah. I was twelve. Twelve. Yeah. So when you think back to that Natalie, what would you tell that Natalie? If you had to talk to her and talk her out of her fear or maybe the what ifs that you didn't understand, what would you say to her? Hmm. I would say Like, honestly, honestly, this sounds cheesy, but I think I would say to, like, have faith. All the things that, like, broke my heart the first time, I I remember feeling very, like, distraught and, like, lots of despair and, like, the first time I went to Mexico and just seeing all the pain. And I was like, how is this possible? Do I feel guilty? Do I feel sad? Do I feel mad? Like, I don't know. And what can I do? Like, my parents were right. What can I do down in Mexico? And I was too scared to even, like, 
I remember in high school, like being scared to raise my hand to like use my hall pass to go to the bathroom because I didn't want to have to walk in front of everybody. <laughs> yeah, I was so like shy. <laughs> but everything that I've ever needed has has been given to me, like for for my job with Caring Hearts. Obviously, I have to work really, really hard, but everything that I've ever needed, whether that is like financial support or whether that is just like skills or people like mentors or whatever, um, it's always come in due time. So I think that that's the biggest thing. Like there's no reason to worry. You just got to work as hard as you can and keep going. Yeah, that's, that's good. So if with, with everything you now know, like, would you, do you see yourself like keeping on going for it? Like how could you ever detach yourself? Yeah. I know. And We've really... How do you balance that? How do you like? Here's here's my question that I that so I, I've been I don't know a couple of times I don't even two three maybe I don't I know. know I feel like you've been a lot I I don't know but I feel like I need to go again but like there is a there's a certain level of trauma that goes with each trip I think for me it was like for some of the stuff that I saw, like it took me a minute, right? When you, when you get plugged back in and you come back and you're like, geez, like, wow. Like kind of what you were saying, like, how, how do you, how do I do this? How do you, how does this work? So how do you balance that as, or is it just, it's part of the norm anymore because you're so back and forth so much? You know what? I actually like, I, have to force myself to make sure I'm not like turning off emotionally because it's like the natural, your, I think your like body or brains, like natural response can be to like go numb. Um, but I think I have to challenge myself, like do everything you can and then invite others to do everything they can. Like I've learned, I can't do, I can't get very far on my own, but I have to be willing to invite others. So like, for example, there's this family that um, the first time I met them, the little boy has hemophilia and they were living like out in the desert with no water, no electricity. It was horrible. And um, I just remember meeting them and it was like one of those things where it's like, it like punches you in the gut and you're like, you've got a family of five, no, six people and the kids are like stick thin and like they're just trying to make it. And how am I supposed to like, be like, okay, well, here's a bag of beans and I'm going to leave and go back home now. And how do I like live my life knowing the two realities exist at the same time? But just like if whenever I think of them, like do something. So call someone, whoever's down there in Mexico, ask them to go visit them, ask them what they need and then communicate that. And just like, if you feel it, don't put it off, do something. You can't fix the whole thing, but you can fix part of it every single time. You can fix a part whether that's like a physical, emotional, like even if it's just being a friend, that's enough because it's something. And in due time, like you get to see crazy miracles happen. Like we've, I mean, you've seen it, Eve, like just families that didn't have a roof and now they do. And um, just incredible things. Not even always just like a family. Yeah. Yeah. In general. Mm -hmm. So what is the worst, worst case maybe, if you will, of a little boy or a little girl that, because now you have a boy's orphanage and a girl's orphanage, that you've taken in and the best result that's come from. Like, when you watch the, the you know, like Louise or, or whoever, like, when you watch that transition, 
Can you give us a story of, of the worst case that came in and then, then where they may be now or where they went or? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. I've got two in my head. I kind of, I think of the girls home, um, like first the girls, we were on the roof of a house, um, and the neighbors, we could like see into their house and it was like this big drug house, the bunch of men that lived there, they were all on drugs. They're super dangerous. Like, um, everyone kept saying like, don't talk to them. Go, don't go near them. It's a very dangerous place to be. Um, and we noticed that there were little girls living in that house and, um, found out that they were like staying with the men in order to have a safe place to sleep, even though it wasn't so really safe. Related or anything to anyone. Their mom was, uh, having the girls be with the guys in order that they had food basically. And then eventually that house burnt down and we lost contact with those girls and we found them later living in the dump in the garbage dump. And so when I saw them and they like came running out and they were like, Natalie, and they were so excited to show me their little tiny tent that they were living in a garbage dump in Mexico. Which by the way, to clarify is acres and acres of just garbage. Yeah. It's and nasty it's, smells and flies and Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've both been there, but to describe it to someone. Yeah, else. like you're living in a big dumpster. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what it is. But they had just, like, they had a quarter inch thick of, of dirt on them. Like, their skin was black, and you could not, like, they didn't even have a ponytail in their hair. You couldn't get anything, like, through their hair. It was just matted, and, like, and the city didn't care. I tried to bring, like, officials from the city to go help them, and they didn't want to get their shoes dirty in the dump, so they wouldn't get out. And I, like, that's, that was one of the times that I truly felt like, wow, there's like no way. To, I, th- I thought at that point, like, I can't do this anymore. That's how I felt. Like I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't sleep. Like I was just depressed. <laughs> it was the worst situation. And now we have a girl's home and now they're like the most fun, excited. Actually yesterday, um, the like house mom sent me that Hamima, the youngest girl she, who had never been to school in her life. She has all tens, which is like A's. Her her teacher sent her grades. Wow. So it's like they're happy young little girls. Um, and you would have never guessed that. So I mean, that's the biggest thing. We've got lots of guys who've grown up in the orphanage, like they were on the streets, then went in the orphanage, and now they're successful with jobs, running their own ministries, um, taking care of their own families. So those are the things that make like everything worth it. And yeah. That's awesome. So if someone is kind of like on the fence about about going and they're like, well, they, they might be scared for all the same reasons that you were scared. Can you kind of describe, because you guys are, because you go every month, mm-hmm. consistently. So for any of our listeners, you ever want to go and help with, so there's a boys orphanage, there's a girls orphanage, there's a soup kitchen, there is, uh, you do calls, like uh, care calls or whatever you call them. Yeah. And for anyone that wants to go, what do you tell them about the safety of the environment, the, the stay, the, you know, what can they expect basically? Yeah. So I understand number one is like the first thing we get like lots of worried people, but then like worried parents, you know, and I understand. Um, but I feel like it's the same thing as anything else. Like, I'm not going to go to New York City and walk around in a dark alleyway by myself. And I'm also not going to go to San Luis, Mexico and be out in the streets at night by myself. 
um, there's always like that risk, but if you're safe, like it's very safe. We've never had anything happen. We go every single month. Um, we've been going down there for 30 years. We've never once had like a safety incident. So that's the first thing. But number two, it's just, it's so worth it. Like every time you get in your car, you're like putting yourself at risk, right? Like every time you like go out on Broadway, you're putting yourself in some type of risk. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you're going to be at risk, like I would say going to Mexico has a big return. Like I always say it's the biggest gift that I could give someone. You know, and it's weird because I'm like asking people to go and give their time and money to go. But when I have a friend that's like going through something hard, the first thing I want to do is just like pick them up, put them on a plane to Mexico because everything gets put in perspective. And I don't, I don't know. Do you feel this way from like the love that you feel in Mexico from the boys and from the kids? It just makes it all, you feel safe. Yeah. Like, well, and, and to add to the basically the compound that mm-hmm. you stay at, so you're gated in, you're, you're walled in, like it's not like you're just staying at some house off the street sharing yeah. the street with a cartel member or like what you were saying earlier, this house full of guys that were dangerous, things like that. So you're kind of in your own little... Yeah. Life. But it's, then you venture outside, but you're going as a group or whatever, so... Yeah. It's probably the safest place you could stay in San Luis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So how do you balance this for anyone that, that doesn't know Natalie? Natalie is like, I'm trying to think of a freak that would describe you. <laughs> well, I don't know why it's free, but, <laughs> but just like the happiest, bubbliest, like whatever, not shy at all, despite what you were saying earlier about your younger years and you're everywhere. And so for instance, uh, for if anyone's friends with Natalie and you're like, hey, Natalie, let's do dinner at 6 o'clock on Friday, then she'll be like, I always tell everyone this, like, when I'm introducing you. And then it's like, well, okay, yeah, I can be there at, like, 6.10 to, like, 6.35. No. How do you that? Right before 6, and then i got to be somewhere else, and then somewhere else. So you always go, go, go. So how do you ever find time to just be Natalie? Yeah. And how do you balance that? Yeah. There's like the Cisco in Nashville, and there's a Natalie. <laughs> like the, the man and the female version is the same person. He knows everyone and is everywhere. That's hilarious because Cisco, Cisco has helped us with Caring Hearts so much. Um, and the two of us together was like a tornado. <laughs> we were like, we're going to do everything all the time. But um, that's a good question. Well, you know I run. So that's my like, like in the morning before – Anything else, I'm like, I'm just chilling by myself for a little bit, going to run around, get my thoughts together. Um, and I think that's important. But I, I don't know. I think I get my energy from, like, the people that I care about. And because I'm out of town so much, um, when I'm home, I'm like, I want to see everyone. I want to do everything. And there are so many people who help me with my with caring hearts. Um, and I'm just so thankful for them. So I want to support them too and like be a part of what they're doing. But yeah, I don't know. It doesn't feel that way. Like I know I'm busy, but it's, it's all things that I love. I don't really know what to do. Like, I don't like watching TV. I don't know. I like to live it. You got to live, you got to live every moment. (laughs) Yeah. So what about caring hearts do you wish that people would ask you more about? Hmm, that's a good, that's a good question. 
Um, I wish that people, I guess if it's someone who hasn't been to Mexico or who hasn't volunteered with us in Nashville, the biggest like misconception, I don't know if this is answering the question correctly, but like the biggest misconception about nonprofits in my head is like checking the box of like community service. And it's not like that at all. Like if you're doing it because you feel like you have to or you need to or you should, you probably shouldn't do it. Like it's a gift. It is like relationships and it is just as like valuable as your best friend time. Um, you get to like form that with people. So I wish that people would ask the stories of the individual people more than the like big numbers of what the organization is doing. Um, because it's very like relationship oriented, you know, like changing the one life is this sounds so cheesy, but changing the one life is just as important as like 150 of them or a thousand of them. So I wish that people could like see the strength of, I don't know, of Alonso at the boys home or Nene or Hamima or Shakina. Like I wish people could really like understand who they are. Well, that just leads me to the next question, which is, so you have so many friends in so many places. You could be doing so many things. Why, why those people? Why do you care so much about the people? Yeah. Because when you go there, and if anyone ever goes with Natalie, like you're, the best way I could describe this is you're their angel. Oh. It's like everyone's like, Natalie, Natalie. And, and like you are the, like if that didn't have you, but you, you could say so many things like, well, I just don't have time, or I want to do this for myself, or whatever. And um, what is it about the relationships you have, whether it's here or there, that's so important to you? Yeah. I think that, I don't know where I heard this, but, like, you can't, I just, I often tell myself this, like, in a lot of different areas, like, do the next best thing in front of you or like love the person that's in front of you at the time. So like I think of the soup kitchen and there's so many kids and they're wild and they're crazy and they're stealing all of your stuff and you know, but it's the one that's in front of you or here in Nashville, we've got a community over in West Nashville and like usually on the weekends, like that's my number one struggle is when I'm home on the weekends, like there's so many things to do, but every time I choose to go there and be with those kids, um, I'm like, I can't think about anything else. I need to put my phone away. We'll go to brunch later. Like, I've got Zyra right here in front of me, and she just, well, all she wants is, like, me. And I think that that's something that we miss a lot in our, um, like, in our lives and in our culture here in America is to, like, actually want people just for who they are and the time that they have right then and there because we are on the go. Because it is about networking and making connections and growing and doing, like, advancing constantly. But kids and people in those situations who don't have any other agenda, they're just like, I'm just thankful for you. And I just want your love is something really special. So those moments that you have, because you know, you're going to have to leave next week or the next day or whatever, like those moments, you can't take them for granted. And I've really felt that like looking back on memories in Mexico and being like, Oh, I wish I could see this person, but they're not here anymore or, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. That's good. 
just to be present in that moment. Yeah. So this is obviously called the Ultimate Shift Podcast. So mm -hmm. when you think about your life, is there a certain time that you felt like you were on one path and then there was this ultimate shift that kind of changed the trajectory or the course of where you were going and what you wanted to do? And if so, what would do you have a story that would share like that transition period or whether it's the hardest time of your life or, or the best time? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I would say, I would say, I think when I first started working for Caring Hearts, I guess, because there wasn't really like a job, like it was just, okay, we became a nonprofit and we need to raise money and get people involved. And like, we didn't have a website. We didn't have like anything. And I was fresh out of college. Like I said, I switched my major every year. So I feel like I didn't even like actually study anything fully. Um, and I didn't know, but I was like so full of passion. I like knew where actually someone told me this yesterday, um, how like I had the dream and the desire for what I wanted to accomplish, but I didn't have like the discipline, um, to know how to do that. I didn't have the skills, the discipline or whatever. And so I really had to become very like humble and asking for help and like willing to learn and brave in the fact of like, like we did the first masquerade, which is the first like big event that I ever planned. And it was like 700 people and we knew what we wanted to do, but I had no idea how to do it. Um, and just had to learn like, okay, it's kind of selfish to be shy or scared because there's like this, um, like task at hand that I have to accomplish for the people that I love. So I'm, if I fail, like whatever, I'm, all I'm going to lose is my pride because I tried my best. Um, so I think that that has been like the biggest shift of just like not caring if I fail because it's my only option is to like keep going. I don't know if that makes sense at all, but. So what's the biggest challenge you've ever had to overcome? I think the biggest challenge that I face is, and I feel like you're really good at this and I often pick your brain about this, Ephraim, like the thing that's a part of my job that I never applied for and never wanted is, is leadership. It's really hard to like be in charge of something or somebody. It's really or, hard. Or, or multiple people. In yeah. Case, you're in charge of a lot of people. Yeah. Like to know how to do, to do the right thing on the spot um, and to not put yourself first all the time. That's really, that's the most challenging thing, which is something that I, I do like admire about you Ephraim is, I'm always, Ephraim and I go on runs <laughs> and I'll like pick his brain about how to handle situations because it's challenging. I don't know how to be a good leader sometimes. Well, I, I think leadership is something that's learned. And, and from only experience, I don't think it's something that there might be some people who are, are um, what's the word, maybe destined for it or better. At, I don't know that I'm that person, but. Uh, I can be very selfish, as you know. So it's it's something we all learn and struggle with, I think. Well, uh, so if you were given the world stage, and this is how people were going to remember you by, and you were given the world stage for five minutes, and after you're gone, people are only going to remember Natalie for what you said, what do you think the world needs to hear? Oh, my. you got to send these questions in, in advance. All right. Um... Let's see. Let's see. 
The, what the world needs to hear. If I give you the questions in advance, then you have time to perfect it. But if I ask you on the spot, then it'll probably be transparent. Okay, I like that. I like that. All right. So what I think the world needs to hear is that, hmm, I honestly believe that you have everything that you need right now. Like no matter what your circumstances, you have everything that you need to make yourself and like the people that you love the happiest. You just got to be willing to to like share a hundred percent. I love I that. Think. Just yeah. be yourself in, yeah. in every way. Yeah. Which you live that, so Thanks. you're really doing it. <laughs> Thanks. So, what does success mean to you? Success to me. This is something I struggle with because I live in two very different worlds and success looks very different, I think, in the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I think success to me is like putting all of your skills, passions, and resources to the best use for yourself and others. So if you can like go to bed at night and say like, I worked as hard as I could with everything I had for the benefit of my world, like myself and the world around me. Um, I think that is success. I love it. So what do you tell someone that, because you're a very, you get up early, you make things happen. Uh, like you said, a lot of people rely on you for to, to really make things happen, whether it's here or Mexico. Like you have the pressures of two worlds. What do you tell someone who's struggling with just, Maybe maybe it's the get up and go. Maybe it's the getting started. Maybe it maybe it's a new business. Maybe it's just going to work on time or you know whatever. Maybe it's it's fitness. Maybe it's someone wants to run a marathon, but they have a tough time getting started with the the small feet of you know you start start small and work up. Mm-hmm. So how do you motivate yourself, and what what do you recommend to anyone that's struggling to get motivated? Yeah. I'd say two things. I think, I think number one picture where you want to be like, okay. I don't know why I'm talking about horses so much because (laughs) I really don't even ride horses anymore. But back in the day, I used to be a a barrel racer and my, my trainer used to always say like, look where you want to go. And so like, if I'm looking at the ground, I'm probably going to end up there. Like you'll probably fall off. But if you are looking to the next barrel or like looking like, I don't know, the top of the hill or whatever, you're going to take your horse there. You're going to go. So I would say that, like, imagine where you want to be. So if it's like fitness, imagine like how you want to feel when you're done with that long run or like hard workout or whatever. Um, if it's your business, like imagine what you want it to be like and start to act that way. Um, but then also like have, have a little grace for yourself, like for a period of time, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you can say like, all right, that sucked. I know what to do better for next time. And next time starts right now. Like just having grace, not beating yourself up. Like don't give yourself time to like cry about it. <laughs> so on, on from, so running, I think as you know, it, it's mental, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can get physically exhausted. Like we ran a half marathon. You signed up for a full marathon. Well, you've run full marathons before. So Natalie is like this freaking psychopath, <laughs> nonstop. Uh, like, for instance, for our listeners, if if Natalie's like, "Hey, Ethan, do you want to run in the morning?" Yeah, sure. Uh, 
Natalie comes running, and she might have already ran six miles, and then we run another six, and then she's like, I just need to do four more. <laughs> and it's just like, who are you? Um, so how do you, like, how do you get to that level of, of just working through that mentally? Like, do you know, like, what do you tell yourself when, when your body's saying, I'm done, but you're like, I'm going for 13 today? Yeah. Yeah, well, actually... I did this this morning. I haven't done like a long run in, in a while. And this morning I was like, all right, I'm going to do it because I'm about to. How far did you run? Today I did 10 and a half. 10 and a half. And I was, yeah, but I haven't done that in a while. And I signed up for a marathon in November. And well, so. Yeah, I'm going to as well. Yes, I'm holding you to it. Ephraim's doing it. Let it, let it be this, known. This, yeah. This is my commitment. This is so your commitment. Yes. <laughs> so um, I run away. So it's like. I don't do loops. Like, I, I try not to do, like... I can't do circles. Or, or loops are the same thing. You see this yeah. over and over. Yeah. And also, it's like, okay, so, like, this morning, I was like, all right, I'm going to run five miles away. Like, I'm not turning around until I'm five... Because then, like, you have to get back. <laughs> um, so, I think, like, I don't know if that... But, like, one foot in front of the other also. It's just like, all right, I'm not going to think about the fact that I still have five more miles to go. I'm going to think about the fact that, like, like... I don't know. I'm just going to make it to 12 South and I'm just going to make it to here. Like setting small goals and then getting there and then setting another one immediately. And I also always tell myself like, it's good to do hard things. Every time you do something hard, like you just, you just got stronger. You just got better. So if you're not doing hard stuff, you're, what are you doing? Just wasting your time. Natalie Hennessy, you're not doing hard stuff. What are you even doing? Yeah. Why are you even here? There we go. Maybe that's my quote. So, so what, uh, what do you tell yourself when you get to that hill? Like I run around the stadium a lot and then uh-huh. this long hill to come back over. So like, let's say you're, and, and I don't know how you find it, but I find whether I'm going for six or eight now, I'm not a 10 or 13 runner. Yes, you are. We did but, it 13 uh, together. Well, you're right. But like one time uh, <laughs> or maybe two tops. But like, let's say I find mile four is the hardest. I don't know if mm-hmm. you find it that way or not. I don't know. I did mile four, mile five, whatever. Then once you get over that, but like, let's say you're at that hump and then you have a hill. Like, what do you tell yourself when you have this big hill? Because I have different things I tell myself, but like, what do you do? Or do you just pretend it's not there? I'm like laughing to myself because I'm pretty embarrassing. Like, if somebody, I honestly do like talk to myself sometimes. Oh, I yell <laughs> I'm like, I'll like baby myself. I'm like, Okay, it's okay. Like, I don't know. I tell myself, like, it's okay. But, yeah, like, there's not an option. Like, I also will just be, like, very real with myself. Like, what what is the option? Are you going to sit down on this hill? Like, are you going to call an Uber? No, you're not going to do that. So what's the point? Just get up well, the hill. What if it's different from, from going to a walk versus keeping the run? Oh. Because <sighs> I, I know when you and I run, there's no point of ever going to a walk. Yeah. I don't either on my runs typically, but, like, a lot of people would, like when they get to the hill, or I used to when I got to the hill, and then I'd, I'd walk up the hill and be like, I just ran four miles, I'm deep, I'm, I'm good, I can I can walk up the hill, but like, yeah. how do you just keep the pace? I, I think it's kind of the same thing I said before, like I imagine how good it's going to feel at the top, mm. and I'm just like, like I don't give myself that, that like option, like the option is stop when it's done. Um, when I first started running, I did it by time, not by distance or speed or anything. Like I would just tell myself, 
you're going to be, you're going to be running for 30 minutes today. You're going to be running for 40 minutes. So I don't care how fast or slow or how far you get, like, but you're not going to stop for 45 minutes or whatever it was. Um, and so I think that that, like, that's in my head. Like it's, it's really just not an option. It's not an option. Just figure it out. And just one foot in front of the other, like one step at a time. I guess. I don't know. I'm going to remember the next time I'm like trying to train for the marathon now where I'm trying to do 13. And then it's like, just, well, actually, but as you, you told me one time, you're like, well, once you get so far in, it's, you kind of go in the flow. And I was listening to Iron Man. Have you ever heard, watched Iron Man? No. I'm sorry, Iron Cowboy? No. Uh, James, something, this is Iron Cowboy. He just did a hundred, a hundred triathlon back then. What? Back to what do you mean back to back? Back to back, one after the other. How is he? Wow. Yeah, that's and he insane. He did fifty, and now he just did a hundred. And so, but he did fifty like a year or so ago, I think, and now he did a hundred. That is insane. And, His and body is probably just actually iron. <laughs> like how? Yeah. <laughs> but like he was saying um, that in like eighty, when he was running like the eightieth or biking or swimming, whatever he was doing, so I mean. Everything, he doesn't even remember some dates because it was just such a flow. Yeah. And, and then when he's done, he's like, oh, oh my gosh, what do I do? But I think that's how running is sometimes when you get to a point and it's just a flow. You, the miles just fade away. Yeah. But I don't know. I find it fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm also not the runner that you are. So, well, one more hard question. So okay. I'll keep you all day. If you could ask any one person, alive or dead, one question, who would it be and what would the question be? Ugh. Okay. This is like so cheesy, but I really do. It is my person. It's Mother Teresa. <laughs> okay, I read her book. I read the book. No, no. I read lots of books like about Mother Teresa and everything and like but she's super interesting to me because like she was straight up alone in India. Like day in day out like didn't have the support of a ton of people like helping her so I just think she's super interesting but what I would ask her is probably kind of contradictory I guess to everything like we've been talking about it's just like how how to not get tired like what do you do when you get when you do get tired you know um whether that's like emotionally or physically um, cause she just, she just kept going. She had so many little kids that she cared for in such hard situations. And yeah. How do you not get tired? Exact thing. Uh, no, it's different though. I don't know that it is. It's different. How is it different? Because I do like, I do have so much support. I think that's the, th- the thing. Like all of you guys, my friends, I exhaust all my friends because I'm like, <laughs> all right guys, here's your schedule. We've got three King hearts events this week. Um, <laughs> But I've got such an amazing support system that I don't know how you would do it without it. And but those the hardest moments are the ones like like in the dump seeing the girls and just feeling like, oh my gosh, there's nothing I can do to change this. Like how to not because like I told you, like I was depressed. I was crushed. I wanted to quit. Um so that's something that I often like want to ask other leaders, like how do you I think similar to like what you're doing. Yeah, how do you not crack when when you're tired? I think everybody maybe does in some way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We all have limits. Well, this has been fun. 
I just want to acknowledge you for like giving your all. You go, I think it's safe to say every day you go out with a smile and you just make everyone stay better. Uh, there's never a time that you, that I can ever say that I've ever been around you that I didn't feel better about myself when, that when we parted ways. I think, I think you're just, and you care so much about the world and about people and you don't want to see hurt and suffering. So much so that you'll sacrifice everything that you make for other people. And I just, I just think you're one of the greatest. Oh, thanks, Eve. Thank you. So it's been a pleasure to have you. And I'm very glad to do this. Yes. Thanks for having me. How can people like find support the mission, you personally, as well as like Caring Hearts? So it's just Natalie Hennessy on Instagram. Mm-hmm. And at Caring Hearts Mexico on Instagram as well. And then CaringHeartsMexico.com or .org? .org, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I encourage you guys to like go check out, follow Natalie, follow Caring Hearts, check out the website and just see what they're doing and see if it has, uh, if you guys can see yourself fit in that uh, world somehow. Yeah. So okay. that's going to be all for today. So... Yeah. Adios. Thanks again for tuning in to The Ultimate Shift. Look, I know life is crazy. Life gets busy. And we all kind of have an idea of where we want to go and where we want to end up. But there's so many things that come up in between. And my goal with this show is to grab one thing from every guest that we can apply to our lives that help get us closer to our end goal. You can follow me on Instagram at Ephraim Glick, Facebook at Ephraim Glick, Twitter at Glick Ephraim, or you can go to the website at EphraimGlick.com. See you next time.